It's the 5th of July. And Independence Day needs an independent woman. I think we've chosen well. I think we have. It's still number one. It's the 2000s chart show. Thank you, Top of the Pops presenters of the past. This is indeed the 2000s chart show, the chart show dedicated to celebrating the music of the 2000s one UK top 40 singles chart at a time. I'm your host. Samuel Spencer, and this week we are in the 5th of July 2003, where music sounded like this. Yes, indeed it did. And what a week it was this time 20 years ago. So from June the 27th to June the 29th, 2003, it was Glastonbury, which those that year was headlined by R.E.M., Radiohead and Moby. So an absolutely amazing Glasto for bald white guys there. Well done to all of those involved. On July the 2nd, this is from the Wikipedia 2003 in music, by the way, the A-teens performed at the Stockholm Pride Festival. A lot of respect for whichever Scandi gay decided that the world needed to know that that was a milestone of 2003 pop. Exactly the kind of listeners that we are searching for on this show. That was the least of the world's concerns because on the 5th of July, the World Health Organization finally declared SARS contained after it had affected 26 countries and resulted in 774 deaths. And thank God that was the last pandemic that the world ever saw great topical for three years ago so yeah there's a lot going on in the world around the time of the 5th of july 2003 but most of it was not happening on the uk charts i know i promised that this was a game-changing chart but that's mostly because i can't add up so that is in fact next week although there is a certain someone on the album charts who's just about to make a splash which we'll talk about in a second but first i must give you a disclaimer for this week which is that i have basically completely thrown my back out before the filthier minds among you wonder whether that's due to whatever I got up to at London Pride. I will assure you that it is not due to anything sordid that happened there. Although I did go see Peaches in the Evening, which certainly didn't help matters. But what my back pain means for you as a listener is that I have taken a kind of carefully calibrated combination of painkillers, which could either unlock a kind of new dimension of podcasting not previously thought possible, or could make everything that happens in the next hour and a half totally incoherent but the only way to find out is by starting this episode in which we will hear new entries from people such as blazing squad the yeah yeah yeahs metallica and one of the og sugar babes siobhan donahay except of course in 2003 the english suburban kids amongst us were still calling her siaban because we didn't know better no one told us how irish names were spelled so yes it is a slightly slow week but there's some really fascinating things to talk about we have some clips from a metallica documentary in which the members of the band are as bitchy as any real housewife could dream to be we have the story of what happened to make siobhan leave sugar babes and we have whatever strange wormholes the combination of painkillers i'm on send me on so that's something to look forward to and hopefully it will get us over a slow week in the charts such a slow week in fact that even top of the pops this week slightly cheated by featuring beyonce performing crazy in love on the show to provide a bit of star power 
On the 5th of July 2003, 20 years to the day that this comes out, her album Dangerously in Love is at number one in the album charts. And so a revolution in pop music is about to go ahead. The artists of the early 2000s are about to look very old-fashioned compared to the rise of Beyonce, the first kind of true pop star of the 2000s. Things are slowly changing, but we will have to wait for another week to talk about Beyonce on this show, apart from mentioning the fact that Beyonce performed Crazy in Love on Top of the Pops this week, 20 years ago, means it is the 20th anniversary of the iconic moment in which Beyonce asked how her friend Tabitha Paps was. What's up, Tabitha Paps? Shout out to whoever it was who came out with that joke on Twitter. Even with 600 tweets to read a day or however many we are legally allowed to look at now, I would happily read the Tabitha Paps tweet 600 times and feel that I'd had a good day of Twittering. So not only is it the 20th anniversary of the Tabitha Paps moment, as it's known in my house, but it's also in this episode Top of the Pops. It does highlight how every other artist is about to become irrelevant in the face of Beyonce. There's a moment at the end of Top of the Pops where they do a promo for the next week's episode and a voiceover site. Who's going to be number one next week? Is it going to be Beyonce or is it going to be mystique and you're like hmm i think i might know uh, which one of those is going to dominate the 2000s and which one isn't but to find out who actually did get to number one that you will have to wait till next week but for now let's crack on with the uk top 40 from 20 years ago i want to start briefly before we get to top 40 at number 76 don't worry we're just going to 76 and then to 40 i have no intention of making this episode three hours long but just to say that at number 76 this week was a song called the hit song by DJ Format featuring Abdominal. So risky to name a song the hit song because if it's not a hit, you look like an idiot. And so DJ Format featuring Abdominal, you look like idiots, I'm afraid. DJ Format's fail there at number 76. And now let's hear what is in the positions from 40 to 35. Yeah. I am like so I got to win. Break bread with the enemy. No matter how many cats I break bread with, I break who you sending me. You motherfucker never wanna know what your life saved. That's on a light day, I'm getting down, down Like it said freeze But won't be the one ending up on his knees Please But the only thing you can't steal Was came out to play Stay out my way Motherfuckers, we gonna rock Then we gonna fall Then we let it pop Don't let it go X gon' give it to ya He gon' give it to ya X gon' give it to ya Just how you I feel. Want to 
what you've just heard is at 40 in its 10th week, DMX's X Gone Give It To You. 39, a former UK number one, Tom Craft with Loneliness. At 38, The Thrills with Big Sir. At 37, Big Brother's Favourite Things. And at 36, a incredible 20 place drop. Curtis Mantronic presents Shamonics or Chamonix, as we discussed last week, with How Did You Know? And at 35, in its only its third week, Jennifer Lopez's I'm Glad. It's worth, because this probably means this is the last that we're going to hear of I'm Glad by Jennifer Lopez. It's worth briefly looking into why this song was such a kind of big flop Prior to this, she had had a two-year run of top five singles, starting with Love Don't Cost a Thing, which got to number one in January 2001, and continuing with Play, Ain't It Funny, I'm Real, the Ain't It Funny Murder remix, I'm Gonna Be Alright, Jenny from the Block, and All I Have. Then I'm Glad can only get to number 11. What, What happened there? It's not that I'm Glad is any noticeably worse than some of those songs. So of course I did some digging into why I'm Glad had not done so well, and I discovered this little factoid and I believe this from the Wikipedia Jennifer Lopez releases Jenny from the Block and All I Have and then Lopez was initially dissatisfied with the release of both singles she felt that the tracks were too similar to her previous singles such as Ain't It Funny and I'm Real she felt that she was visiting old territory and so I'm Glad was Jennifer Lopez's attempt at controlling her own career and saying okay I'm going to choose the song that I release and so very telling then that that goes to number 11 and it's the same story in the US by the way Jenny from the Block got to number 3 in the Billboard Hot 100 and all I have was number one whereas I'm glad only got to number 32. There are of course two ways that we can look at this. Either Jennifer Lopez picked the song and it was genuinely just a big flop with international audiences who didn't want to hear it, very possible. Or, and doing this podcast for the three months that we have has given me a cynical view of the record industry. She tried to take some sort of power over her career and so her record label basically deliberately tanked the song to kind of get her to rein in her dividend. Again, I have no legal reasons for saying that, but certainly that wouldn't be out of character with the way that record labels have acted in the past of some of the acts that we've discussed may go some way to explaining the mystery of why I'm glad was such a flop and how it is also like an atypical flop because even Jennifer Lopez's next single Baby I Love You would get to number three and then she goes right back to having a number one hit with Get Right in 2005 and wouldn't miss the top 10 again until 2007 so I'm glad a definite anomaly that's worth investigating if anyone knows what was going on with Jennifer Lopez's record label mind you we can't go by what the US charts say at all because the US really truly has terrible taste in Jennifer Lopez songs. So Play in the UK was a number three hit, rightly, because one of Jennifer Lopez's best songs only got to number 18 in the United States. Get Right, which was a UK number one and probably Jennifer Lopez's best song, got to number 12. Whereas in America, the absolutely atrocious murder mix of Ain't It Funny got to number one. So can't trust those crazy American charts with their mixture of sales figures and radio play, which definitely can't be fudged throwing out so many accusations today not all of them unfounded i'm not making specific accusations against any one person so don't come for me music lawyers please i think it's best that we move on however before the weight of the music industry's legal talent falls down on me like a ton of bricks so let's move on to our first new entry at number 34 this is cosmic rough riders with because you because you
I'd love to tell you something about the Cosmic Rough Riders, but there is basically nothing online. It's an indie band from the 2000s, so anonymous that no one's even really bothered to kind of give them a web presence. There's not even one, like, deranged fan. The kind of fan that would put the 18s playing Stockholm Pride as one of the main moments of music history in 2003. No one has that level of enthusiasm for the Cosmic Rough Riders. And so there's nothing really to say about them other than they were an alternative rock band from Glasgow. And this is the third of their four top 40 singles. This is what we've talked about for many weeks they're just another example of how the early 2000s was the absolute worst time that British India has ever seen it was such a bleak time for British fans of guitar rock for example that even Linkin Park seemed exciting which is why they are at number 33 this week with Faint watching you turn your back like you always do face away and pretend that I'm not but I'll be here because you're all that I got I can't face the way don't turn your back on me Okay, and why we get the smelling salts for Lincoln Park after their fainting fit there, here are three more songs from this week's chart. At number 32, Electric Six's Gay Bar. Number 31, Emma's Free Me. That's, of course, Emma Bunton. And at number 30, Danny Minogue's Don't Want to Lose This Feeling. narrative of sorts that emerges there through those titles you're in your flat with your bad boyfriend you have an argument and you're like oh free me and so then you leave and you go to the gay bar and then you have such good fun that you're like oh i don't want to lose this feeling there you go another <laughs> thank you to prescription drugs for that uh for that <laughs> for that particular train of thought which leads us in no way but let's just go with it to number 29 a new entry from the yeah yeah yeahs with pin
pin is the Yeah Yeah Yeah's third UK Top 40, which was preceded by their hits Machine, which got to number 37 in November 2002, and Date With The Night, a number 16 hit in April 2003. The Yeah Yeah Yeah's, one of my favourite American indie bands of the time, a band that, unsurprisingly, British indie fans went absolutely mental for in 2003 because they had the raw excitement that was lacking from artists like Turing Breaks and Travis and all the other people you could have seen in the 2003 Glastonbury. But their lyrics, they may have a raw energy, but their lyrics are not always easy to decipher. And this is why the interesting and eccentric commenters of the website songmeanings.com have been arguing about what exactly the song pin means. So having heard it, you can decide for yourself. So these are four options taken from song meanings about what this could be about. And I'm reading directly from the comments which I will try to embody with a certain kind of indie rock fan pedantry, which they deserve. So this is number one. Uh, this kind of seems a little, uh, like, darker to me, mate. I don't know. Uh, like, there's something more than just sex. Like, uh, she likes it, but uh, he controls her with it, yeah? Yeah, like, uh, what I take from pushing in the pin, plus it could be, like, uh, an overtly sexual relationship, uh, thus uh, things are feeling thin. That's that's based on a specific indie music fan that I went to university with, which I hope isn't listening to how much I've totally character assassinated him with that impression. So that's opinion number one. Opinion number two about what pin by Yeah Yeah Yeah's could be about. And this song's about fucking. Hell yeah, gonna put it on my <laughs> sexual relations mix CD. Yeah, the person who wrote that definitely uh, doesn't need the use of a sexual relations mix CD very often, I would assume. So number three. Uh, things are feeling thin in the relationship. I lost my seat again to some other woman for whom his heart burns. Instead, things are feeling thin and lost my seat again are lyrics from Pin that he's... And I say he, these are men who are doing this, I imagine. Women have got better things to do than comment on songmeanings.com. And that's feminism. So number four, I think this song's about voodoo dolls. That's a bit Hermione Granger, wasn't it? From those books by She Who Must Not Be Named. I think the singer used to go out with someone but then got dumped. Now she is pushing in the pin into a voodoo doll to get back at him. I would say if you're going to write a comment about voodoo dolls, learn how to spell voodoo dolls. But there we go. Is this song about sex via control? Is it just about fucking? Is it about being broken up with? Or is it about voodoo dolls? I'll leave it up to you to decide. And while you decide, we will talk about the Top of the Pops performance that the AAS did to promote Pin. And this is the incredible thing about Top of the Pops and why it's a much missed show by millennials and older. They would have an episode and it would be Blazing Squad followed by AAS. And you were like, yeah great i now i have a wide overview of what is happening in music this week unfortunately however all of the fans who got into the yeah, yeah, yeah from this performance had to sit and watch as the cameraman basically perved on the lead singer of the yeah, yeah, yeah's karen o i know it's a bit of a cliche to say of something like oh you can get away with that today but in the case of the filming of the yeah, yeah, yeah's performance of pin that is a literally true because what this cameraman does in this performance is actually illegal now there is so much upskirt done by this cameraman every second shot is him trying to film under her dress and if you did that today you literally would face two years in prison and a fine for what this director did on something that was shown on friday tea time that is a message to all of you people oh it was better in the golden days on the one hand this podcast I guess is part of that but also we are very much acknowledging that the fact that you could casually upskirt an indie rock goddess in 2003 was not okay especially because i just watched the documentary meet me in the bathroom which is a documentary about this era in american indie rock it's featuring the strokes and interpol and yeah 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 and there's a whole section in there about how 
photographers constantly trying to shoot up her skirt led to her having a huge mental health crisis so it's very difficult to watch this performance without feeling slightly icky even if Karen O as ever gives an amazing performance so there we go we're putting a pin in that episode and that time it's because the song's called pin that's uh, actually very funny and we're moving on to another new entry at number 28 this is Flaming Lips with a fight test Some of you folk rock fans out there will be thinking now, doesn't that sound an awful lot like Cat Stevens's father and son? Like you are now, and I know that it's not easy to be calm. And a lot of you boy band fans out there will be thinking, doesn't it sound a lot like Boyzone's father and son? Take your time, think a lot, think of everything you've got for you. Certainly, if you ever went on a in a car ride with my mother from the years 1998 to about 2023, you certainly heard the best of Boyzone in the car enough to know that Fight Test sounds like father and son. And you would be totally right because Cat Stevens actually sued the Flaming Lips, the American psychedelic rock band, for copyright infringement. And now Cat Stevens, or as he's now known, Yusuf, gets 75% of the royalties from every time you play Fight Test. Wayne Coyne, the singer of the Flaming Lips, told The Guardian about this. I want to go on record for the first time and say that I really apologise for the whole thing. I really love Cat Stevens. I truly respect him as a great singer-songwriter. And now he wants his money. There was a time during the recording when we said, this has a similarity to father and son. Then we purposefully changed those bits, but I do regret not contacting his record company and asking their opinion. Maybe we could have gone 50-50. As it is, Cat Stevens is now getting 75% of royalties from Fight Test. We could easily have changed the melody, but we didn't. I'm really sorry that Cat Stevens thinks I'm purposefully plagiarising his work. I am ashamed. There is obviously a fine line between being inspired and stealing. If anyone wanted to borrow part of a Flaming Lips song, I don't think I'd bother pursuing it. I've got better things to do. Interesting there, because he's trying to say that the fault is his, but he can't resist a few little digs at Cat Stevens there, can he? The I truly respect him as a great singer-songwriter and now he wants his money. It's pretty scathing in a very passive-aggressive way. As is, well, if someone plagiarised us, I probably wouldn't sue them because I've actually got better things to do. So Cat Stevens there found dead in a ditch and the Flaming Lips a tiny little bit poorer from their decision to not change the melody of Fight Test. I keep stereotyping my listenership. You probably, you know, like me or like any chart pop fan, have a wide-ranging set of interests in pop music and that's great. But for those of you who aren't really into the Flaming Lips, you may want to know that the B-side of Fight Test was their cover of Kylie Minogue's Can't Get You Out of My Head. I just can't get you out of my head Boy, your love is all I think about That is certainly a different take. I can't wait for them to have a go at Padam Padam. Side note on Padam Padam, by the way. After being shoved by the 28th Twink of the Night at London Pride and having had a few too many white wines, I did say gay men these days need to be a little bit less Padam and a bit more Persmart. So hopefully, now that I've shared that phrase with you, that will catch on. I, I see a lucrative 
t-shirt business in my future there. Although maybe I'll get served a Cat Stevens-like lawsuit from Kylie and having to give her 75% of t-shirt sales, which I'm very happy to do. Anyway, 27 this week, in its third week, down from 17, this is B2K with Girlfriend. Thank you to B2K for that. I say as if they're in the room performing, which they are not. Although at this point, at this point in the painkillers, who knows? 26, however, is... S Club with their final double A side single, Say Goodbye and Love Ain't Gonna Wait For You. Thank you to Bradley, Paul, Tina, Rachel, Bradley, Hannah and Joe. Did I say Hannah twice there? Anyway, thank you to all of them for that song. And at 25, we have a new entry, which is in fact a remixed version of a former entry in part. This is Panjabi MC and Jay-Z with their double A-side single, Yogi and Beware of the Boys. We will talk about the first part of that double single, Yogi, next week, but I got a little bit obsessed with Beware of the Boys. Put the snake on ya, I'm on my eighth summer, still hot, young's the eighth wonder, all I do is get bread, yeah, I take wonder, I take one of your chicks straight from under your armpit, the black Brad pit. I'm at till six in the a.m., all day I'm P-I-M-P, I am simply attached to the track like simply, it's simply good, young ho, infinitely hood. Jay-Z's remix of the Punjabi MC song whose name I will not butcher so insert the Punjabi pronunciation of Punjabi MC's biggest hit here Bundian Tabaske Yeah that's the one so this song is the brainchild of British Indian DJ Rajinder Singh Rai, stage name Punjabi MC, it was first featured on his album Legalised in 1998 and then basically across four years became this huge kind of word of mouth success and a huge selling bootleg on the underground Bangra scene in Britain. This eventually led to it going to number five in January 2003, making it the first Bangra song to reach the top ten. It was also number one in Italy, Hungary, Belgium and Greece, which is interesting as not countries you necessarily associate with having a big Indian population so clearly this was a song that transcended race boundaries which is amazing and of course because it's an amazing song but how did it break in such a massive way it was mostly due to the DJs Bobby Friction and Nihal Artanayake I probably butchered that as well so here's how it's actually said I'm Nihal Artanayake 
they played it on their South Asian music show on Radio 1 and other Radio 1 DJs heard this and basically fell in love with the song and started playing it on their shows particularly Trevor Nelson a big champion of the song and this got it added to the elusive Radio 1 playlist which as Padam Padam fans will know it's not an easy place to get to necessarily if you're not if you don't look a certain way and are a certain age so we say this however is another example of a song that had a huge plagiarism lawsuit attached to it in this case the it's ironic because Punjabi MC called his album legalized because this was his first album in which he cleared all of the samples that he used legally so he could release the album through mainstream channels however he forgot to clear the Knight Rider theme which his song used which now means that his biggest hit and his only UK top five, the Universal Music Group, gets 90% of those sales. So the corporation always wins, unfortunately. But that did not stop the cultural influence of this song. Part of that moment in the late 90s and early 2000s where Indian culture was massive in the UK. We've talked about it a little bit over the last few weeks with things like Bangra Nights' Hussan. But Indian music in general had been bubbling up in dance music for about two years when Punjabi MC's song came out. So in 2001, Timberland had used Bangra elements on Missy Elliott's iconic Get Your Freak On, which had got to number four. And less successful, but still well worth searching out if you haven't heard it, Truth Hurts' song Addictive was number 27 in June 2002, and that actually sampled the Indian singer Lata Mangeshkar. And of course, earlier in 2003, Gareth Gates had a number one single with his sitar-backed version of Spirit in the Sky with the Kumars at number 42. As in, the name of the comedy guys was the Kumars at number 42, the song got to number one good clear that was all very clear indian culture again everywhere in the uk in the 2000s bend it like beckham came out in 2002 made 11 million pounds in the box office and we even had on the west end the musical bombay dreams which was written by mira sayal of the kumars and had music by a.r Rahman, the indian conductor who would go on to win an oscar for slumdog millionaire and bombay dreams of course you remember very well that it was produced by andrew lloyd webber so basically what i'm saying with all of that is that jay-z got to the trend of indian music after Missy Elliott, Truth Hurts, Gareth Gates and Andrew Lloyd Webber. And frankly, Jay-Z, if Gareth Gates and Andrew Lloyd Webber can get to a trend before you, you really need to reconsider things. According to the Punjabi MC website, Jay-Z personally asked him to remix the track. The manager of Punjabi MC, Rekar Sagu, told The Guardian Jay-Z had been in Switzerland and heard the song blasting through the walls and wanted to add his own verse. Jay-Z himself said of the song, it felt like world music in the best sense, like a bunch of sounds from different parts of the globe joined up like an all-star team people in the club heard it and went crazy i did too so his version of the song called beware of the boys which is the english translation of the punjabi title he says i wanted to make it a party song which was the mindset i was in when i first heard it but the international feeling of the track which some people thought was arabic moved me into a different direction so i dropped in a line against the iraq war has there ever been anything more american than having so little interest in the specifics of other countries that you put in a reference to an Iraq War in a song from India, which is about 
about 4,000 miles away from Iraq. But for him, the song had an international feeling, so it must feature an Iraq war reference, as if there's America and then just international, which is every other country. And if you haven't already learned this from my general disdain for Jay-Z and his remix of this song, I do not like this remix at all. It has that feeling of when you're at your family's for Christmas and you're trying to watch TV. I don't, usually, in my case, the Doctor Who Christmas special. And you just can't hear what's actually going on the show because everyone else is just having a conversation in the background. That's what Jay-Z does to this song. You're like, oh, can I listen to this song, please? And he's like, no, I'm going to talk over it. And you're like, no, but I'd actually quite like to... No, oh, I'm no, I'm going to do a rap. No, but please, I'm trying to pay attention to the song. No, 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 I'm going to rap. Not good. He is to this song as America was to Iraq at the time. He just came in and destroyed everything with seemingly no rhyme or reason. Wasn't expecting to get so political today, but I'm fired up now by my dislike of this remix. So let's calm down with number 24, Shania Twain's Forever and For Always. Twenty-three, Rock Your Body by Justin Timberlake. Timberlake there in his seventh week on the chart down from 20 and he's followed by someone in their 16th week in the chart so that's four months in the chart and they're only at 22 and they've actually stalled they were at 22 last week so no sign of this song going anywhere this is Inter Club by 50 Cent go shawty it's your birthday we're gonna party like it's your birthday we're gonna sip a card like it's your birthday and you know we don't give up because it's your birthday you can find me in the club bottle full of bull my mind I got what you need if you need to feel a bug. I'm in the habit sex, I ain't in the making love. So come give me a hug, you're getting, you're getting rough. You can find me in the club, bottle full of bug. Mama, I got what you need if you need to feel a bug. I'm in the habit sex, I ain't in the making love. So come give me a hug, you're getting, you're getting rough. When I pull up out front, in the documentary Meet Me in the Bathroom, they show a NME cover of the Yeah Yeah Yeahs. And one of the stories also on that front cover is 50 Cent colon, the song that could get him killed. Unfortunately, I couldn't actually find the content sense of that issue online without paying like 30 quid for a copy of Enemy from 2003 which I'm not really willing to do. So I guess we won't know what the song that could get 50 Cent killed. I presume it's Inter Club which does actually make a lot of sense because Inter Club really could get 50 Cent killed because now all his haters are going to know where he is aren't they? They'll be like where's 50 Cent? Oh I don't know let's listen to his song. You'll find me in the club ah uh, get your machetes. Fatal error. If you're the kind of guy who's been shot nine times don't release a song that reveals your location. He's really is. 50 cents short of a dollar, if you know what I mean. Great, that was all great. But if you do have that issue of enemy, please scan it and put it online. Someone needs to archive these old music mags. They are so hard to find and have such amazing stuff. You can head over to our Instagram, by the way, to see the amazing photo shoot enemy did where they dress the cheeky girls up as the white stripes. That's the kind of stuff that just hasn't made it to the internet because people haven't scanned their magazines. So anything you have at home, put it online. We need to see it. 
So that's 50 Cent in its 16th week at number 22. And at 21, a new entry. This is the Foo Fighters with Low. There's a lot of elements of straight culture that I don't understand, okay? I don't understand, for example, why straight people like Football Focus, the TV show that's just people commenting on football matches that that the channel doesn't have the rights to, so you can't personally see. Baffling. I don't understand why straight people like All Bar One, the bar chain where you can drink watered-down cocktails while listening to Pitbull at ear-splitting volume. Don't know why they like that. And I certainly, most of all, don't understand why straight people love the Foo Fighters so much because they really do. By 2003, the band, of course, fronted by former Nirvana drummer Dave Grohl, had had 12 UK top 40 hits and four top 10 albums. And in November 2002, they just had their first number one album with One by One. So big success, but to my ears, I just cannot hear what makes the Foo Fighters better than any other bro-y hard rock band. If I was pushed, I would guess that what people like is that they made more memorable videos. Every other metal band's video is just, oh, here's us in an alleyway with our guitars. Oh, don't we look menacing in our leather? Whereas Foo Fighters always had kind of funny videos. I use funny in quote marks there. If you like the sight of Dave Grohl in drag, you'll love a Foo Fighters video because never has a man wanted to get into drag more than Dave Grohl. And Lo, the song that's at number 21 this week is no exception. The video stars Dave Grohl and Jack Black as two white trash guys who book a motel for the night and proceed to get drunk and dress up in drag, of course. I guess the joke is meant to be that, oh, don't Dave Grohl and Jack Black with their facial hair look funny in drag but honestly watch this video and you could just add in a few scenes and it would be a very just niche porn there's a website that would pay you good money for the low video and there's no judgment there by the way in anyone who's into niche pornography you know i know that nowadays in 2023 jack black kind of looks like a warlock but in the late 90s i think he's weirdly hot and i think Apart from the fact that his character has a very disgusting ponytail, he's kind of a little bit sexy in this video. That may say way more about me than I'm willing to share, but if you agree with me, let me know on our Twitter at 2000 Show. And certainly, I prefer the video to this than I do to the song, which is just Foo Fighters by by numbers, really, isn't it? But of course, nowhere near the last we were here with the Foo Fighters. They will go on to have five more number one albums, most recently just a few weeks ago in June 2023. And they have eight more top 40 hits to come, including the song The Pretender, which is one of the two Foo Fighters songs I actually like. The other one being All My Life, the lead single from one by one low by Foo Fighters not so keen on and at number 20 another big mare song this is DJ Sammy with sunlight <laughs> more like <laughs> sunshine <laughs> I think I didn't I make that joke like two weeks ago anyway it's still funny <laughs> Number 19, 
another new entry. This is Siobhan Donahay with Overrated. be called overrated but i think definitely an underrated track there which is the first solo single for siobhan after breaking up from the sugar babes in 2001 and this is siobhan donahay's only solo top 40 hit which is a travesty because her album and song ghosts are both truly underrated pop masterpieces that's a word that i think i've thrown around a lot but in this case, is actually true. And because this is her only solo UK top 40, so her only chance to talk about Siobhan and why the Sugar Babes broke up. Kind of an interesting and sad story. Again, it, it brings up how awful the record industry was in the 2000s, which we may or may not have seen with Jennifer Lopez earlier. So basically, the story about why the Sugar Babes broke up has been told in many different ways. So the first of these I could find was from a press release that the Sugar Babes management put out at the time, which said that Siobhan had to step back from the band because she had a kidney infection. Siobhan said of this to The Guardian, disgusting, they didn't even call me to tell her that she was. they were doing that. And they literally hired Heidi Range within a week of Siobhan leaving, so wasting no time. So that was the first reason. And then a few years later, Keisha told Touch magazine that Siobhan had ditched the band by going to the toilet and never coming back. After three hours, we thought she'd been in there a bit long, Keisha was quoted as saying... But apparently it seems that Keisha, that was a joke on Keisha's part. She was just amusing herself by lying to a journalist, which a lot of pop stars do. And I don't think it's okay as a journalist who doesn't want to be lied to by Keisha. But certainly in this case, fairly funny. Siobhan had her own take on it and quite a blistering take, actually, which she told the magazine Pony Step in 2009. She said, there was no doubt that I was pushed out. It was clear there was someone in the band who never wanted me in it. And that's Keisha. She never wanted me in that band and made my life a living hell. It's funny, all these years on I've grown up and I've left it all behind and I'm not bothered by it. I think a lot of the memories I have just blocked out because I really don't like to think of the nasty stuff. I like to think about the good things in life and always focus on the positive and zen and all that shit. Funny. But I'll never forgive her. Though no one forgives that first bully in their lives, do they? Though on the other hand, it doesn't matter. You meet so many people in the world. Why would I need to reconcile with that person? I don't even know if she would want to. Kind of awkward, seeing as now they are a touring concern again. But it seems that they have made up. And it basically, the reason why Keisha was seen as a bully was just... They were all just being so pressured by their management. And don't forget, in 2001, I think they're 17. So, so young. And Keisha told The Guardian that the record label would whisper to each of them that they should go solo and tell each other that they didn't like each other. So it's very easy how, in that situation, they could have felt very, very pressured and certainly think that they each hated each other more than they did. The more you read, in fact, about the early Sugar Babes, the more you just realise that the industry treated them horribly. Also, why we're talking about why the Sugar Bays broke up. I swear I read a story once that they broke up because Keisha threw a sandwich at Siobhan and that was the final straw. But this story has somehow never made it to the internet. So it just exists in my brain as a kind of insane nugget 
So if you know where that magazine is, again, scan these magazines into the internet. It's a resource we desperately need. As if her experience with the industry wasn't bad enough with the Sugar Babes, it continued as she went solo. In NME, Chiffon was very real. It does seem that there's been an explosion in the young female singer-songwriter arena this year, and that's been a problem. Radio stations say they can't play all of us, which I find impossible to fathom because nobody says we've got too many all-male bands. Well, I do, but... I'm not a radio booker in 2003. Since then my album Revolution in Me came out, it missed the top 100, but it would have been physically impossible for the album even to go to top 40. The label only got 10,000 copies out into shops. Nobody I know could find it. So she was never given a chance to succeed, which is a shame because I think actually her solo stuff was really great. And if all this wasn't bad enough, there's also the awkward moment that she was literally performed at the 2003 Glastonbury at the same time as the Sugar Babes. She says, being on stage at the same time as the Sugar Babes was a bit weird and I think some people are convinced it was done deliberately but it was only down to the fact that one stage was running late. If I hadn't been on stage, I think I would have gone along to see their set. My whole attitude with them now is that if they're on the radio, I don't turn it off but I don't really turn it up either. It's so long ago now that I'm not bitter. Well... Not anymore. But time does heal all wounds and now the Sugar Babes are back together and touring. I've seen them before. They're great. But going to move on for now by noting the strange coincidence that Siobhan Donahue in her Glastonbury debut wore a Darkness t-shirt and the Darkness are one position in front of her in the chart at number 18. Down from 11 in its second week. This is growing on me. It's not fair. I'm being punished for all my offenses I wanna touch you but I'm afraid of the consequences I wanna banish you from when you came But you're proud of me now And I've only got myself to Growing On Me By The Darkness, a song that's definitely not about sexually transmitted diseases, apart from the fact that every line is about sexually transmitted diseases. There is absolutely no way to transition from sexually transmitted diseases to anyone without opening yourself up to a legal battle. So I will just put that to one side and say that at number 17, we have a new entry. This is Maloko with Forevermore. Overrated, we have a band that are still puzzlingly underrated, despite the fact that your average gay guy has accepted Rosine Murphy as a canon diva. Her original band, Maloko, still don't get the respect they deserve, I think. Of course, all of us out there know their biggest hits, The Time Is Now and Sing It Back, but their discography has got many great songs in it that need to be better appreciated by the gays. So, sort it out, guys. In case you're wondering who were Maloko, they were Rosine Murphy and her then- boyfriend Mark Bryden. Good for them because they created some great songs, not only Time Is Now and Sing It Back, but Familiar Feeling, Indigo, Pure Pleasure Seeker, all great songs, but I still can't think of anything worse than being in a band with your boyfriend. Honestly, work is supposed to be the place where you get away from your boyfriend. That may be why I'm recording this at 7pm in the office, because it's bad enough that your boyfriend doesn't do the washing up when you ask them to, and then you have to be in a band with them? Disaster. So I guess it's no wonder that the pair of them broke up in 2002. Roisin told 
told Business Life that it was tricky getting back into the studio after we broke up. I don't know how I did it, but we did. I think perhaps we had that record to make. That record was Statues, considered to be their most critically acclaimed album, and Forevermore is its second single, which was preceded by A Familiar Feeling, I think one of their, if not their number one best song. But the problem for Roisin Murphy, although she did create a great album that she can be proud of, the fact that she'd broken up with the guy did have some repercussions on her. She told Audio Snobbery, he, that's being Mark, pulled out of a lot of responsibility for the promotion of the album and I went around Europe alone doing promo. He'd tour with us but I'd go off after gigs alone and do interviews and stuff. See? That's what I mean about don't get in a band with someone you're dating. You know, most breaking up couples, you have to decide who gets to which books and which bits of furniture. But you don't have to decide who's going to do the promotion of your collective album. Nightmare. And of course, because this is a feminist podcast, it's typical that the woman gets all the hard jobs. Sort it out, Mark Bryden. Do some of the promo 20 years ago. Although saying that, we're saying that it's a bad thing to date someone you're doing music with. But if you're going to break up with them, it maybe is a good idea to do what Maloko did and go on an 18-month tour. Because that way, you're not going to accidentally see them on the street and you're not going to see them in a club with a new girlfriend because you know exactly where they are every evening. So it's kind of genius. You can't be surprised when you're taking the bins out in an old t-shirt and they look amazing. Won't happen if you tour with them. I think we call that the... ABBA Fleetwood Mac solution. You just keep toying with them because then you can always stop them from getting up to no good. And also the fact that Statues was their most critically acclaimed album suggests that if you're going to break up with someone, actually maybe that is the best time to record an album. So there's a life hack for any of you uh, creative types out there. Break up with a boyfriend and then make music with him. Or make music about them, like certain singer-songwriters made a career from doing that I won't name because I don't want to get doxxed. So there you go, there's some relationship advice and some life hacks about creativity which are better than any of those awful Twitter blue verified ads that you get about people telling you how they will change your life when in fact the only way that they will change your life for the better is by driving you off of Twitter due to sheer frustration which actually is probably good for your life. So Maloko there with Forevermore but we will not hear about them Forevermore because this is their last Top 40 song from Maloko. There are, I believe, two Roisin Murphy solo top 40 hits to come. But for now, this is the last we're going to hear from Maloko. And unfortunately, at number 16, this isn't the last that we're going to hear from Scooter with The Night. Scooter joining the small club of artists who've now had two singles that we've discussed on the 2000s chart show. Delta Goodrum being the first and now Scooter. Can't imagine those two artists having anything in common, hanging around in the hypothetical green room. So Scooter are back in the charts and it is a perfect week to talk about them because they are very much the Foo Fighters of dance music. Not a phrase as anyone has said before, but it is true. Straight people go absolutely mental for them, even though they seem to be the most generic type of music in their genre. Very puzzling. Scooter success. Especially because it seems to me to be the easiest thing in the world to make a Scooter song. All you have to do is just shout in a vague European accent about having a good time and then cut every so often to high-pitched female vocals. How hard could it be? Hello! We are so glad to be here! Everything is great! Oh, my crazy people here! Yeah! We are having so much fun! Everything is nice in the car! Oh yeah! So there you go. Scooter there with whatever the hell, whatever the hell that was. Very easy to make a Scooter song, I think we've just proved. You might think, uh, it didn't really sound that much like Scooter. But let me play you the night and you tell me if you can tell the difference, okay?
Gudrun 2003, following on from 2002, which had been their biggest year as a band. Their song, The Logical Song, got to number two, which was followed by Nasaya at number four. But already after that, there was diminishing returns. The song Posse got to number 15. And then in April 2003, as we heard at the start of this run of podcasts, they got to number 12 with Weekend. Thankfully, there are only two more Scooter Top 40s to go. There's Maria, brackets, I Like It Loud in October 2003. And then the truly horrendous jumping all over the world in June 2008. But luckily, we're five years of real time away from that. So maybe the sweet embrace of death may get to me before I have to talk about jumping all over the world by Scooter. We can only hope. So Scooter at number 16, and at number 15, here is Fighter by Christina Aguilera. Aguilera with Fighter very much in her imperial phase and imperial phases are going to be a very important talking point for the future of this podcast because it is something that I am slightly obsessed by so if you've not heard of the imperial phase it was a phrase invented by Neil Tennant the singer of the Pet Shop Boys and former Smash Hits editor so basically an all-round great guy he argued that in 1988 and 1989 the Pet Shop boys were in what he called their imperial phase which was basically the point in which creatively and commercially they could do no wrong and so as this podcast goes on we are going to see artists hit what we know is their imperial phase. Arguably, we could say that earlier Jennifer Lopez had just come out of hers. I'm glad hitting number 11 probably was the thing that ended her imperial phase there. But Christina Aguilera, certainly at this point, still in her imperial phase. Stripped was a critically acclaimed album. And prior to Fighter getting to number three, she'd had three number ones in a row with Lady Marmalade, Dirty and Beautiful. And as is a running theme in this podcast, imperial phases are another thing that's been ruined by the awfulness of modern culture. Particularly, stan culture ruined the imperial phase because now no fan of anyone can admit when they do something disappointing. We can never consider when someone's imperial phase may be because no one can admit when it ends. But on this podcast, we will be very honest about the beginning and endings of everyone's imperial phases. So Christina Regulera with fighters still in hers, but it remains to be seen with her hits to come how long she can keep it up. That's for creating a little bit of suspense for you for future episodes. This podcasting lark's easy, isn't it? No, it's incredibly difficult when you're... Uh, when you feel like your back is trying to murder you. But luckily, I have the soothing tones of Amy Stutt to get me through the rest of the episode. So here she is at number 14 with Misfit. Waste your own time, I don't care. And that leads us perfectly into an actual misfit of music, number 13. This is a new entry for Gary Newman versus Rico with Crazier. Uh, 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 
Gary Newman had two number one UK number one singles in 1979. As the lead singer of Tubeway Army, he had a number one with Our Friends Electric. Of course, pop gays will know that. And other music fans, let's be diverse. And Pride Month is now over, so we all us gays can go back to irrelevancy. Finally. <laughs> anyway, Our Friends Electric, of course, being the song that gave Freak Like Me by Sugar Babes its tune. <laughs> And then later in 1979, Gary Newman also had a number one single with Cars. And by 2003, he has had 20 top 40 singles, but had not had a top 20 hit since 1996. So this is somewhat of a comeback for Gary Newman, which he is trying to do with the album Hybrid, which sees younger artists who have been influenced by Gary Newman remixing his previous songs and working with him on new ones like Crazier. To be a little snide to Gary Newman, Gary Newman is so inspired by late 70s David Bowie, it feels very weird to be inspired by Gary Newman. It's like not being inspired by the Mona Lisa, but being inspired by a child's crayon colouring book version of Mona Lisa. Incidentally, while we're talking about David Bowie and Gary Newman, just a time to share one of my favourite 70s pop music anecdotes, which was that David Bowie once got Gary Newman thrown off a TV show they were supposed to go on together, which is exactly the kind of petty bitch behaviour that I love from my pop stars. I mean, it's all great when you discover that two random pop stars have been friends all along, you didn't expect it, but it's much better when they hate each other, when they're Kelly Osbourne and Christina Aguilera just feuding throughout the ages, much more enjoyable. Anyway, back to Gary Newman. He is here working with a man called Rico, a Scottish singer-songwriter born Ricardo Capuano. They appear together on Top of the Pops this week, 20 years ago, and Rico has one of the most unfortunate haircuts I've ever seen. I'm well aware that podcasts are not a visual medium, but so I would try to describe, describe this in my most poetic terms. It's His hair is gelled into thin green strips, which are then hung equidistant around his face, kind of like he's wearing a one of those cork hats that Australians have in cliches, but stuck to his face and green. It makes his hair seem like it plopped onto him from a great height. It's slowly trickling down his face. So really a sexy look. I mean, Gary Newman's hair doesn't look much better, by the way. It's that exact colour of black that only exists in Just For Men bottles, and definitely not in actual nature. Although we have to give the two of them some credit. We can't just make fun of them, although we can make fun of them a bit, because that's our remit. But Gary Newman said that working with Rico was one of the most enjoyable things that he'd ever done. And he said that in August 2022 when he heard of Rico's death. So good for them, ultimately. I'm glad they had so much fun working together and I'm glad that Rico gave Gary Newman what would be his final top 40 hit. So good for them, good for Gary Newman and Rico and bad for number 12, our next new entry. This is Tommy. That's T-O-M-M-I, of course. It's 2003. It was actually illegal to spell anything properly. Here are Tommy with Like What. Got to mention Like I don't deal with folks who don't listen Cause I'm not the one to deal with all that friction Cause I'm one of those self-sufficient women Who's got a 
Now, obviously, here at the 2000 Chart Show, we have a massive soft spot for flop girl bands. So it's always incredibly exciting when we discover one that we've never heard of before. And that, this week, is Tommy. It's a great pleasure that I introduce you to them. Here is their entire Wikipedia page. Tommy were a short-lived British girl group formed in 2003. They only released one single, Like What, which reached number 12 on the UK singles charts and number 38 in Ireland. That's it. That's all That's all that Wikipedia tells us about Tommy apart from their names. But you may be thinking, why did Tommy fail when so many other equally bad bands manage at least two singles? Not name any names. Lemonescent. We can go back to, I think, two episodes prior to hear about them. There are many reasons, I think, why Tommy were doomed to flop. But here are just five. Not seen many bands who smell so much of record company cynicism. Take one look at them and you know that some record execs somewhere thought, ooh, what if Blazing Squad? But ladies. And that thought is pretty much this band's only reason to exist. Someone is just being like, oh, this one thing was successful, so what if it was women? So Tommy very much the lady ghostbusters of their time. To be fair, it's not the worst idea in the world to create a kind of lady chavvy rapping squad. Lady Sovereign would have some success with that in a few years after all. But the biggest problem is that number two they pull off being the female Blazing Squad terribly. Blazing Squad, and we are going to talk a little bit more about Blazing Squad because they have a song in this week's chart. Some of them look like they might actually knife you and that is why they appeal to a certain type of young woman and, if I'm honest, a certain type of gay man with, shall we say, niche interests. Blazing Squad do convincingly seem to be working class street toughs, (laughs) which didn't sound as Dickensian in my head, but now saying it aloud does. But Tommy do not look like street ruffians at all. Every single member of Tommy looks like they are Brit school graduates who are wearing sideways baseball caps in order to pass a street dance exam. And then number three, there's the names. So obviously all of them have been given rap names and it really is the worst selection of rap names I've maybe ever seen. So there are five members of Tommy and they are Lil Chill, Miss Thing, sorry I misspoke, Meh, Dollar Sign Thing, Bambi, Peekaboo, and Stylus by the end they're just running out of names and just looking desperately around them for any name that they could uh, be called and then just seeing a record player and going oh yeah Stylus is the last one she's very lucky she wasn't called like Window Smudge as a rap name so terrible rap names unbelievably unrealistic obviously cynical and number four visually is a terrible look the stylist of Tommy only had one idea and that was what if everyone has braids but a different kind not really something you can build a brand off someone having stringy braids that they've tied up like a Danish and another person having four braids Rico style we're not going to buy it you can't put that on the front cover of Smash Hits and this is all before we even get to number five the most important one of these is that the song is so mediocre never has a song sounded more like a Mystique cast off although I think that's actually quite rude to Mystique singers unlike Tommy Alicia could rap which these Brit school graduate types these Sylvia Young girlies could not seem to pull off so the only good thing about Tommy is they make this week's number 11 seem like the hardest girl in the world of comparison she is Nancy Spungen compared to Tommy this at number 11 down from 6 last week is Jennifer Ellison with Baby I Don't Care And 
haven't seen it yet, it's worth going on our Instagram to see Jennifer Ellison's Top of the Pops performance, which has so much going on without ever feeling in any way impressive. She starts by doing the splits and it just goes downhill from there. She does random yoga moves. She just randomly gets picked up by people. She just spins around like she's a childhood ballerina dizzy on lemonade. The whole thing is exhausting and brilliant to watch. So check that out while we go into the top 10 with number 10. Here is Ashanti with Rock With You, Oh Baby. why every time i say oh baby it sounds so seedy i sound like a very pervy uncle so maybe in the future we'll just have to call that song rock with you which even that i couldn't really say convincingly so maybe ashanti just needs to maybe i just need to just call it ashanti's song ashanti shanti if you will oh you won't okay that's fair enough number nine our next new entry one of only two new entries in the top 10 this week like i said poor pickings but next week will more than make up for it but here at number nine here's metallica with Saint Anger. I don't want to stereotype listeners again. I very much appreciate anyone who can listen and enjoy it. You're all very welcome here. But certainly, there's probably many people out there who just do not give a shit about Metallica. And that's fair enough, because I I was in exactly the same boat as you until this week, in which, desperate for something to do while I waited for my back to stop actively feeling like it was made of barbed wire, I watched the documentary Metallica colon some kind of monster. As in, there's a colon in it. It's not, they don't have a monstrous colon. Anyway, what some kind of monster is is a making of documentary about saint anger the album of which of course saint anger is the lead single normally making of documentaries incredibly boring but this one is brilliant because metallica in 2003 are at a point of imploding they've just basically thrown out their bassist their lead singer is in rehab for alcohol they all hate each other and so they have the brilliant idea I don't think it was brilliant for them, but brilliant for us to watch, to have group therapy as a band and film it all. And most of this we see in some kind of monster. And honestly, it makes the real Housewives of Beverly Hills look like Sesame Street. These bitches get at each other in a way that I could not believe that four ostensibly metal dudes should do. Let's just hear a few clips of Metallica being bitchy to each other because it made it made my night, it really did. I just think it's so fucking self-absorbed and so selfish. This complete lack of not only respecting other points of view. Um, it's pretty straightforward in the guitar shit. It's, you know, it's a little stock. So I started trying to introduce some kind of edge to it on the drums. Those things we throw out to each other are complete bullshit, you know? It sounds too stock, it sounds too normal to me. That, I mean, you know what I mean? You're saying this shit 
so you can get your point across about doing a drum beat. I mean, you know, it doesn't hold any water to you. It doesn't. I think it's fucking stock. What? Which part of that is unclear to you? I think it sounds stock to my ears. I mean, you want me to write it down? I yeah, think well, yeah, it, it feels it stock, I I okay? So I... Come, no, come. when you say, you're telling me what to play right now. You're telling me, you should play with what Kirk's doing, and I'm telling you it's stock. Dude, fine. You know what, guys? Why don't we just go in there and just hammer it out, all right, instead of hammering on each other? I mean, we're yeah. in shit moods, and we're not going to get well, in All you want to do is pick today. a fucking fight, and... You I know. don't want to pick a fight. <laughs> And if that wasn't good enough, it has the incredible scene in which the drummer Lars Ulrich plays some of his songs to his father, who basically assassinates him in the night. Completely savage. I would say, you know, if, if you said, if you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. I mean, I mean, I don't know for you guys, And this clip speaks to me quite a lot because I once witnessed my mother tell my sister after she said to her that she wanted to apply for Britain's Got Talent, why? You haven't got any talent. So I I know all about harsh but fair parents. So I did get some pleasure from watching Mr. Ulrich completely rip his very rich and successful son to shreds there. And maybe the best thing about some kind of monster is they're going through all this pain and all this stress for an album that is pretty much universally considered as one of the absolute worst albums of all time. Recently, Rolling Stone called St. Anger the 43rd most horrible album by a great artist. Here's what Rolling Stone said about it. Fans rightly fixate on the decision to mic Lars Ulrich's snare drum so it sounds like he's banging on a tin can throughout the entire album. But there are deeper issues with St. Anger. The songs are unfocused and seemingly unfinished and the straight from rehab lyrics could have used more thought. I appreciate Rolling Stone putting on that list and giving it such a great slating review. But that same list of the most horrible albums by great artists, they did put Madonna's American Life at number 20 six which i will never forgive them for and i'm going to add them to my ever increasing list of podcast enemies so rolling stone the magazine you are not welcome on the 2000s chart show individual writers for rolling stone welcome an anthropomorphized version of the magazine however will never get to speak on this podcast never so hear that my enemies and quake at the threats <laughs> yeah the pain colors are kicking in aren't they so i will say for those who care about this sort of stuff and i think if you're listening to this podcast you probably do this was metallica's 17th top 40 hit out of 20 so just three more to go but we on this chart have eight more songs to go so let's hear number eight this is in its fifth week and up from nine so it was the second week that xtm and dj chucky's fly on the wings of love has managed to go up a place so clearly the fact that it's the most played music video on the box this year paying off on the chart let's hear fly on the wings of love It's not the only song going up in the charts. Here is I Know What You Want by Buster Rhymes and Mariah Carey. Baby, 
Now, in it used to be on the charts in the 90s that songs would go up and down a bit more freely because a song would be released and kind of do fairly well, but then it might go on top of the pops and get a huge boost in numbers or it might, they might, because there's only like four TV channels, basically if it was performed on any one of them, it would end up with a big boost in sales. So things would go up and down. Whereas by 2003, basically all of the promotion for a song is done in the weeks leading up to its release, which means that songs usually peak at their highest in their first week and then slowly go down the charts. So anytime a song goes up in the chart, it's a cause for excitement and it's definitely going to need a new sound clip. So let's see what sound clip. I haven't made it yet, but let's see what I have decided to make. Now, yes, I haven't heard that yet, but I... Oh, it's great. Yeah, I love it. Amazing. That sound clip I haven't heard sounds great. So every time a song goes up in the charts, we can play that. So yeah, let's play it twice because we've had two songs in a row there going up. That's right, Yaz, The Only Way Is Up. I'm assuming I, I've put that song in that clip. I'm pretty predictable, so I'm sure I have. But not every song can go up, unfortunately. And so down from four this week at number six, this is Delta Goodrum with Lost Without You. of course 20 years ago was a awful week for Delta Goodrum because this was the week that she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in only her teens but she got through it and I believe she's touring now in 2023 so get your tickets and we can celebrate the resilience of Delta Goodrum and speaking of resilient this is a song that stuck at number five after placing at number five last week and that's because it is one of the contenders for the song of the summer of 2003 this is Wayne Wonder with No Letting Go Got somebody, she's a beauty, very special, really and truly. maybe about no letting go and no holding back but I am going to hold back with my comments at number four R. Kelly with Ignition Remix other than to say of course he is a convicted sex criminal so we will just move straight on to our highest new entry of the week this is Boy Tommy as we're now going to call them or as they were known at the time Blazing Squad with their song We Just Be Dreaming Most times I once wrote the whole summer's this damn good when I'm old but for now I'm chilling billing and fulfilling dreams of women heads still spinning from yesterday party my brain's missing off
because this is a attempt at being seen as street in 2003 that is dreaming without the g just an n and an apostrophe so this is we just be dreaming the first single from blazing squad's second album but they are working at a astonishing pace because they're lo- the last single from their first album only came out in February, so five months prior. I guess that's what you can do when there's ten of you. The amount of performing that any one of them has to do is fairly minimal, so I guess you just record all your bits an hour and get and be done, really. I could be in a band if it was one of ten people. Perfect distribution of labour. So apparently this was the record label's attempt at a new sound for Blazing Squad. They could have fooled me because it sounds exactly the same as their other stuff, but apparently they did two different versions for this song. The first version was a rap version with three different rap verses, which will be the version you just heard, but they also recorded a vocal version featuring three different vocal performances put one on CD1 and the other on CD2. Don't even get me started being nostalgic for CD1 and CD2. We can save that concept for another day. But it was CD1 that Triumph and the rap version was the one that everyone loved. So teaching their record label a valuable lesson that no one wants to hear Blazing Squad sing. A lesson we would later learn when the spin-off band Friday Hill tried to do exactly that. But that is a story for another day when Kenzie and whichever other two were in Friday Hill released their song. Because for now, we have to talk about Blazing Squad as a whole. Here's a little fun quiz for you at home. There are 10 members of Blazing Squad. I'll give you about 10 seconds or where for you to see how many of them you can name. Okay, how many did you get? Here are the answers. So, Blazing Squad were Freak, F-E-R-E-E-K, Rocky B, Mellow D, that's M-E-L-O hyphen D, of course, Spikey, S-P-I-K-E dash E, Kenzie, of course, Reaper, R-E-E-P-A, Crazy, of course, with a K, because be, be cool crazy with a C and you're basically sane, Flavor, of course, F-L-A-V-A, Tommy B, and Strider, and Love Island fans, of course, will know that Rocky B is Marcel from Love Island, so he is weirdly now the most famous member of Blazing Squad, but we can't show favouritism to a single member of Blazing Squad. How could we? That would be so cruel. So instead, we will look at the entire band through smash hits, 27 things you didn't know about Blazing Squad, and to stop your heart from exploding from the pure excitement of so much information about Blazing Squad, we'll space these out over the coming weeks, so come back for all 27 facts about Blazing Squad, assuming that this song stays in the chart for long enough. But here are your first five Blazing Squad facts, okay? Number one, Kenzie was nearly killed by a block of ice. About four years ago, a huge bang woke me up, Kenzie said. A block of ice had crashed through my roof near my bedroom. It was dropped by a passing airplane. I almost died. Number two, Strider has diced with death too. When Strider broke his leg at school, he was carted off to the local hospital. During a tricky operation have pins inserted into it he nearly snuffed it because he was allergic to the anaesthetic the poor lamb that was the smash hits writers editorializing there not mine number three they're loaded long before crossroads came out the squad had signed a 500,000 pound record contract which was split between them i spent most of it on clothes said freak sporting an 800 pounds avirex jacket i'm not sure they are loaded they only made £50,000 a piece for their record deal which presumably was three albums so that's about 
20 grand a year. A respectable wage for 2003, but hardly loaded. Thank you, Smash Hits. I'd ring into your editor's office if you still had one. Number four, Crazy thinks it's 2001. He also thinks Crazy spelt with a K, so maybe not the smartest tool in the shed. Crazy still uses his 2001 JLo calendar. I know it's out of date, but she looks really fit in it, he says. And number five, Germans love them. The squad are massive in Germany, which is why they keep jetting off there. German girls are mad, notes her flavour. So there you go, five fascinating facts about Blazing Squad and I can't wait to share 22 more of them for you. But first, our final two songs of the UK Top 40 of the 5th of July 2003. So at number two, this is Fast Food Rockers with Fast Food Song. Although I'm going to do what Top of the Pops did to this song last week and play about 10 seconds of it and then just fade off and feature literally anything else. There we go, the rare zero stars out of five that Smash Hits gave that I think may have been too generous. And that means that for another week, it's fourth week now, Evanescence at number one with Bring Me to Life. Last week, we promised we would tell you the story of the feud between Amy Lee, the singer of Evanescence, and Ben Moody, the guitarist. And it's quite the war of words. If you thought Siobhan versus Keisha was spicy, just you wait until... Amy versus Ben. So Amy Lee told Spin Magazine in 2006, Ben is all about the drama. He's done a lot of irrational things, so you learn not to be surprised by anything. Ben was a really unhappy person. When you're miserable, you don't want anyone around you to be happy. So with him gone, we felt like a weight had been lifted. I have pictures from that day. We all look giddy. So shots fired at Ben Moody there from Amy Lee. He finally broke his silence about why he left Evanescence in a 2010 blabbermouth.net piece. And blabbermouth is apt because this is a long description. So I'll try and condense it to the stuff you need to know. A cruel fact of life is that the person you are at 15 doesn't resemble the person you are at 18 and 21. And today I in no way resemble the person I was when I was in Evanescence. I did everything in my power to put that person in the ground. You can imagine this in a hey man kind of metal voice if you want. Sometimes you grow together and sometimes you grow apart. We were very young people in a very stressful situation. We were becoming two very different people. I believe we both contributed to the resentment of the deterioration of our friendship that quickly turned into a downward spiral of animosity, conflicting opinions and a very volatile environment. By the time we were on tour to support Fallen, the album that, by the way, was last week at number one, has just been taken over by Dangerously In Love by Beyonce. It sadly was all over. Ironically, it was Amy and my absolute equal devotion to Evanescence that drove us to such extreme opposition. We had such opposing desires and personalities that mixed with the pride of youth and inexperience and an extreme amount of insecurity and loss of direction on my part led to an all-out war. We were completely blind to the fact that we were poisoning the very thing we held most dear. I was an awful person and Amy reacted in kind. Is it a surprise to you that these people could write a song as melodramatic and hyperbolic as Bring Me to Life? No, me neither. On the night of October the 22nd, 2003, mark it in your calendars, everything came to a head and through my fit of rage and desperation I put the nail in the coffin of Evanescence. Every emotion I felt manifested itself as anger. I was devastated by what we had become. Everything I based my existence on, an unreachable dream come true, was a nightmare and I was powerless to stop it. We were so passionate about Evanescence and so determined in our opposing desires for the future that my once best friend and I had become enemies. 
So, so far, he hasn't actually said any reason of why they broke up, but in this paragraph, he does give us a little insight. Amy, if for some reason you happen to see this, I hope you know I never truly believed that. There was no way I would ever let someone walk on that stage and sing your lyrics. So there you go. He clearly threatened that he was just going to replace her with another singer, and she got the ultimate girl boss revenge of getting another guitarist. Yes, sis. For some reason, there has been a widespread opinion that my departure was a betrayal or abandonment and against the will of the band. I have no idea where this came from, as on the night of the 22nd, Amy made her wishes clear, sending me a message saying, and I quote, get on a plane and never come back. Hearing those words, I was overcome with the reality that I had allowed myself to become someone that my once best friend would feel that way about. So all good things must come to an end. And also so must Evanescence. There. But this podcast is definitely coming to an end for this week. On that sad note, we can all cry our tears at the death of Evanescence while Bring Me To Life plays. But first, usual podcast outro stuff. Please rate, review, like and subscribe. We last week had our our biggest week so far in terms of listeners. So thank you to everyone and welcome. Come back next week for Beyonce's Crazy In Love, a song that changes everything and brings the 2000s as we remember them and creates the first genuine massive pop star of the 2000s so look forward to that next week but for now here's for the last time maybe at number one bring me to life by evanescence